0: Two things attendees of an updated BLS or ACLS class will clearly notice is the emphasis on high-performing teams and high-quality, uninterrupted CPR. I'll cover high-quality CPR in an upcoming episode. For now, let's learn what constitutes a high-performing team, why they're important, and some of my tips for creating one. I'm Paul and I'm here to help you pass ACLS. Let's start with answering why high-performing teams are so important. Multiple outcome-based studies have shown the importance of a team approach to patient care. It's common now to have specialized teams that respond to specific conditions, such as stroke, sepsis, trauma, or cardiac arrest, because it's been shown that early identification and rapid treatment of these patients improve outcomes. For purposes of this podcast, I will focus specifically on high-performing resuscitation teams. In the grand scheme of specialized response teams, many of these characteristics are also applicable. First, teams need to be standardized. Everything from when they are activated to the post-event data analysis should be laid out in a formal plan so that everyone knows their roles and responsibilities. Because recognition of an emergency and calling for help are key links in the chain of survival, Ensuring that everyone that could potentially encounter a person in distress knows what to do is vital. One thing that's becoming important from my own perspective is a universal number to dial internally for help. As people are frequently moving now between employers these days, it's common for people just to dial O in the event of an emergency. Unfortunately, at many places when you dial O, it puts you into an automated call tree that's designed for outside callers and this wastes valuable time in an emergency. Setting a universal emergency number like 2222, training, and labeling every phone inside of a healthcare facility is something that I believe will be very helpful going forward. Resuscitation teams learn and train together. Skills like closed loop communication, CPR coach, constructive feedback, and team leader aren't as natural for some as they are for others. These skills should be standardized and practiced regularly with simulations and impromptu drills. While not part of ACLS, a program that I'm very fond of is called Team Steps, which is offered through the Agency for Healthcare, Research and Quality. Team Steps provides a standardized way of communicating, including how to speak up and provide constructive feedback professionally. Training modules are available for both ambulatory offices and hospital-based programs. I'll add a link to AHRQ's team steps in the notes and on passacls.com. If you're not part of a code team or your organization doesn't use a formalized communication tool, don't worry. The classroom BLS review and mega code practice sessions will provide every student the opportunity to practice team communication. Every member of the team should participate in every mega code practice. Remember, if you're there, you have something to contribute. Here are a couple tips to keep in mind. The team leader should clearly delegate tasks to avoid inefficiencies such as duplicated work. Instead of saying, this patient's airway is a mess, someone go call anesthesia, the team leader could say, Susan, please call the operator and request anesthesia be paged for a complicated innovation. The second example leaves little doubt to who is doing what and why. Ideally, Susan would then use closed-loop communication to let the team leader know that the task is being done by repeating back, okay, I'm going to have anesthesia page to help with a complicated intubation. It really is just that simple, but unless you do this regularly, it isn't natural for some people, and it does take a little bit of practice. Closed-loop communication is especially important when acknowledging and administering medications. Just like in real life, on the mega code, you should immediately speak up if you identify a possible mistake. Likewise, if asked to perform a task that falls outside of your scope, politely and professionally inform the team leader that you aren't able to perform that task and ask for a new one or suggest something that is within your scope and you see isn't being done. Here's an example. Let's say we have a patient in symptomatic bradycardia and the team leader says, "Steve." Let's prepare to administer one milligram of adenosine. Recognizing that adenosine isn't the correct medication to give a patient in bradycardia, Steve replies, Please clarify. Did you intend one milligram of atropine? Steve has now spoken up in a professional way, and when he's identified something that seemed incorrect, he provided his suggestion to correct it. The team leader can reply, Thanks, I met atropine please get one milligram of atropine ready and then get the defibrillator ready for pacing. Steve can use closed loop communication to say, I'm preparing one milligram of atropine now. I'm not familiar with pacing on this machine. Can you assign that to someone else? Another thing that high performing resuscitation teams do is celebrate their successes and learn from their experiences together. The way that I prefer to do this is by having a debriefing after every code. A high-level summary can be presented by the team leader, and then every team member should be given the opportunity to express what they believe went well, as well as the areas that they think that they could improve on. In addition to chart completeness, data collection, and identifying opportunities for improvement, a postcode debrief has a positive psychological effect as well. Talking about an event with others that were involved has been shown to reduce the post-critical incident stress that is experienced by code team member providers. Getting everyone together immediately following the code also allows supervisors to identify the staff that may benefit from referral to social work, spiritual care, employee health, or your employee assistance program. Many of the post-code debriefs that I attend last less than 10 minutes, so they don't take that long and they really are appreciated by the staff once they become the norm. Speaking of opportunities to improve, code team members should be part of data collection, benchmarking and continual process improvement activities too. After all, nobody knows better about what happens during a code than someone that actually does them. Speaking of benchmarking, there are some important benchmarks that we should all be working towards. First, for MI patients with ST elevation, a benchmark of less than 90 minutes from point of first medical contact to balloon inflation has been set. For stroke patients, a non-contrast CT should be performed within 20 minutes and read within 45 minutes of arrival to determine if it's hemorrhagic or ischemic. Accomplishing these goals may require some community education and system processes to change. How you make these changes is outside the scope of ACLS or this podcast. Continuous improvement approaches such as Lean, Six Sigma, or the IHI's improvement framework are all useful. All three of these are easy to learn, adaptable by any size organization, and have been proven effective. Well, that about covers the main points for high-performing teams. While it isn't a lot of technical information, communication and teamwork is key to a code response that gives the patients their best chance for survival and discharge home. If you found the information in this episode to be a helpful review, be sure to subscribe or bookmark Pass ACLS Now so you can listen in on other topics like stroke and acute coronary reviews that are coming next. Likes and shares on social media as well as financial support via the donate button is also appreciated. Best of luck to you with your ACLS class. The information provided is intended to aid medical professionals taking an ACLS class and is not medical advice. Medical professionals should follow their local laws, protocols, SOPs, and institutional guidelines. I am not an employee spokesperson for the American Heart Association or the American Red Cross. The views and opinions expressed are my own and don't necessarily represent those of my employer, past employers, the American Heart Association, or the American Red Cross.